Good morning. Bah, humbug. We're continuing to work our way through 1 Corinthians. One of the challenging things in understanding, interpreting, and applying the Bible is the need to distinguish between shepherd verses and sheep verses. There are some verses that apply to shepherds, those in positions of spiritual authority. There are some verses that apply to sheep. The problem is sometimes sheep verses are put on the shoulders of shepherds. That's not as bad. Shepherd verses put on the shoulders of sheep. That can be an issue. Um, If you look on the back of the place where the text is, there's a couple verses written on the reverse side of the handout. Jesus talks about a verse that's both a shepherd and a sheep verse. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, What Jesus observed is that there was an issue there related to the sheep. They were harassed and helpless. Images thrown down and put in a position where they were very distressed. And what Jesus identifies, he has compassion on them because although they're anxious, their anxiety is related to the fact that they are shepherdless. And so what Jesus does is he indicates that this isn't a receiver problem, it's a transmitter problem. He ends up saying that the harvest is plentiful. There's all kinds of sheep that will respond to the right message. The harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers are few. Those who will reflect both what God would say and how God would say it. Not just truth, but truth said gently. If the truth would be gently stated, the sheep would respond as sheep will respond when they're cared for. Um, Apparently, and and what we find, the apostles are the answer to this prayer. Apostle literally means one who is sent from and apostles were personally commissioned by Jesus. They experienced him in the flesh firsthand. Um, Jews sent by Jesus himself to channel grace to Gentiles. Now, apostles were given the unenviable task of announcing the most dramatic reversal of fortunes that ever has been announced on the planet. Up until this time, Jews were innies. They were God's chosen. But the apostles were commissioned to speak, and they were to tell Gentiles who had been outies, you are no longer outies, you are innies, because of what Christ has done. And what they needed to say as well, Jews could be innies if they embraced Christ, but relative to their former way of Relating to God, they were now outies. Uh, Jesus prepared his apostles for the treatment they would receive. And what Jesus indicates in Matthew chapter 13, 
Jesus writes, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This verse is applied to sheep. There might be some application. It is not a sheep verse. It's a shepherd verse. What he's communicating to these apostles who would speak about this reversal of fortune, he tells them, relative to the way you're going to be treated, I haven't, you can't expect peace. You can expect a sword. And for the apostles then, they would be disconnected from their family. A father against a son, a mother against a daughter, a mother against a daughter-in-law. and Their enemies would be members of their household. They would be experiencing incredible hostility from their countrymen because they were proclaiming to those who were considered outsiders that God was inviting them inside. That is a message that will be embraced by Gentiles, but understandably, will be harshly resisted by those who formerly saw themselves as insiders. Apostles were hated for transmitting this message. Listen, this Paul in Acts 22, he's one of the apostles. Jesus, now, he saw Jesus in the flesh. He wasn't commissioned at that time, but then Jesus appeared to him and personally commissioned him to be a disciple to Gentiles, which are us, non-Jews. He took that seriously and experienced all kinds of stuff. In Acts 22, he is speaking to his countrymen. It's in Jerusalem. Now listen and notice what is reacted to. I'll just read from Acts 22, verse 17. Paul, Paul speaks then, I return to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple. He said, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, Jesus, leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. Apostles came under withering persecution. Paul is discredited among the Christians in Corinth, and in chapter 9, he defends himself. Let's read. It's kind of a 
long chapter, but just if you want to follow along, do so. If not, just listen. This is what Paul writes in defending himself and his apostleship. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak certainly for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we do not we even more? Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I may win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know? That in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. 
but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. We learned a couple things from Paul, some things that kind of are just slipped in here that are kind of interesting. Most of the disciples were married. They had wives and Jesus' brothers. It talks about Jesus' brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, his half-brothers. They didn't have the same father in terms of seed. In terms of mother, they did. So they were half-brothers. And what we learn, apparently, that they did come to faith. We know James did. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, but apparently the rest of them did too. Interesting, isn't it? That's something Jesus was not able to see when he died. But he could see after he died that those brothers who sat across the table that did not believe in him during his life, on the far side of that, they did so. Um, And apparently they were involved in some kind of ministry. They traveled around. They were married as well. Um, Peter traveled with his wife. She was not only a support, she went with him. Paul and Barnabas decided to be tent makers. And so what they decided to do, they didn't have to, they decided to be tent makers from place to place. And so when Paul would go into a place like Corinth, what he would do, he would set up shop. He was a tent maker. And the tents were used by Roman citizens. They were used by Roman army. So the Roman army, they needed tents all the time for their campaigns. And so Paul was a good tent maker, and that's what he did. And so he would earn a living from being a tent maker, literally. And and then he did not have to rely on the church that he was planting to support him. Um, He took that very seriously. Um, Paul's tent making, this is part of the deal If you are hated by some, people can always find reasons to criticize. You know what Paul was criticized for? It's it's just crazy. So he sets aside his right to be supported. And guess what is criticized? He can't even charge for his services. I mean, what kind of a prophet, what kind of apostle is he? Oh, did he charge for his services? Oh, he didn't. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. Maybe he didn't charge because he couldn't charge. And, you know, so if he, if he had charged, they would have, they would have accused him of padding his pockets and he didn't charge. So they're, so they're alleging that he's, uh, he's defective. He can't win. Um, the very accommodation is being used against him. If he were worth his salt, he would charge for services. That's what, is happening. So when Paul left Corinth, then teachers flooded into the church from the outside, <laughs> planting and discrediting. And what they were trying to do is drive a wedge between Paul and this church. I will talk about a couple of things. There's sheep, there's shepherds, there are hired men, and there are wolves. And what Paul ends up saying in Ephesus to those individuals there, it happened wherever he went. After I leave, savage, fierce wolves will enter, not sparing the flock. They will say twisted things. And the word twisted is something intended to drive a wedge between some 
thing and something else. And so what these individuals then who walked in, Paul is the one who sacrificed mightily to be able to plant this church, to shepherd it. And individuals would come in and say things, and they weren't really good at building things up. What they were really good at is tearing things down. They could find all kinds of reasons to criticize Paul. And what they tried to do is disconnect these Christians from Paul as their mentor. Because if they can get these individuals to see Paul in a bad light, then the way it works, sheep without a shepherd, and there's wolves around. Sheep don't have a real big capacity to defend themselves. A wolf attacking a sheep will not run away from a bleat. Bah! No, no. Uh, Again, we've talked about this before. These individuals as wolves, and we've talked about before, wolves don't hate sheep. They're not mad at them. They don't spit at them. They just need to eat them. (laughs) And that's the deal with those who are preying upon those Baal is trying to support. They just need to consume their devotion. They need to consume their resources. They need to consume. And interestingly, they um, find all kinds of ways to try to discredit Paul. Paul, he this idea of not charging, he, has, he brings this up again in the next letter. This is something they continue to hammer on. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 2, it's not in your... 2 Corinthians 11, excuse me, this is what he said. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I didn't burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. What he has to do is to try to defend himself and lead them to understand, I'm doing all these things because I care about you. And this, he's being charged with not caring. Paul makes two points in chapter 9. He makes one point. First, one who sows spiritual things in God's field has a right has a right to reap material things from that field. He says, do you not know those employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. What happened when Paul left a place? He went in and set up a church in the place. They hadn't heard these things. He went there to territory that had not been exposed to the gospel. One His goal was to create a group of individuals who would give leadership to that church. What he understood is they needed to have somebody in place who knew enough to be able to shepherd the flock in that place. It was they put elders in place and then deacons to to take care of meeting the needs of individuals inside and outside of the church. And apparently, those elders whose job was teaching 
on a regular basis. What Paul encouraged is that they would be able to get their living from what they did. It might not be their full-time job, might be their part-time. At any rate, that that's the way it worked out. He did not expect for those who stayed in a city to do what he did. Paul went from place to place where the gospel had not been known, and he did not see it as something that would work for him to depend on the people he's trying to reach to support him. So he planted the churches, but when he left leaders in place, what he assumed is that they would benefit from being supported by those whom they served. And so Paul makes this point, um, those who provide leadership should be remunerated. And it doesn't say with what, it leaves a bunch of details out, but at least that they should be able to reap material things by bringing spiritual benefit. Secondly, Paul says, as one who establishes new church in unreached places, he doesn't rely on those he is reaching to support him. He sets aside the right in order to have the gospel be unencumbered. What he says, I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any provision. I don't want your money. For I would rather die and have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Um, A couple things as we think about giving. had a good conversation. have conversations every once in a while. Uh, A brother was talking about giving and felt and practiced tithing, saw that as an expression of his devotion, not one that he did in order to get something from God, but it's heard it said, whatever captures your mind will end up finding its way into your wallet. And I think that's the way it works. And there are some actually with the gift of giving. It's one of those things. It's an ability to make money in order to be able to provide it for the support of ministries. And all those kinds of things Paul encourages giving. But the interesting thing, he doesn't command tithing. Again, I want you to listen to me. Paul encourages giving. The tithe, though, was a mandatory, almost like a tax in a theocracy. We're in a democracy. Israel was a theocracy, so there was no separation between church and state. None. The political leaders were spiritual leaders. You might, it was like Iran or Iraq in that those who are the heads of state are also spiritual persons as well. And what the tithe in Israel went for was for the support of the Levites. It's how those who made their living in the temple, it's how they were supported. So when you tithe then, you tithe because a portion of that would go to those who did the temple and alms for the poor, and part of the tithe was set aside for your personal expenses when you did the three festivals that you that you did to travel. And when so there's a tenth, and then a tenth of the remaining, and a tenth of the remaining, it, it ended up being about 
25 to 27%, about the same as the tax burden in a democracy. And when Paul then talks about giving, he does not issue a tithe command because, again, I want you to listen, that died when Jesus did. However, again, the idea of support. And you know what giving is always for Paul? It's free will. It's free will. He does not put an obligation, give and God will give back. And he and we can't. We don't do that. I can't. Can't. I don't believe it's accurate. Now, is that an obedience? Yes, absolutely. And is, is that something to cultivate? Sure. But it's, it's not something to, to put on some and lead somebody to believe that if you do that and citing Old Testament things that God will give back. No. Off by a covenant. Off by a covenant. So give, but don't give because you're robbing God if you don't. Off by a covenant. One more thing about giving, and then I'm going to go on. In, in Paul's thing, it's free will, and what it is as well, I really like this about him. It's face-driven. Face-driven. The re- what Paul did when he took, when he tried to get people to give, he talked about the need. And so what he's doing, he's creating here, he's having them envision those people who were their, the persons that were serving them spiritually. And what he's saying, no, no, it's those individuals that are involved in spiritual leadership. Yeah, support them. Um, when he's collecting things for the Jews in Jerusalem, for Christian Jews in Jerusalem, he does the same thing. He, he went from church to church in the Roman Empire, taking up a collection and bringing that collection back to the destitute Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. So Paul's giving was free will and face-driven. He says a couple things um, as we just kind of pick a few things from this text. Woe, of, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. It's a strong thing. What Paul said this is not just a job for me. This is a commission. He, Jesus told him, this is what I, I want you to say and to whom I want you to say. It. And what Paul sense was, whoa, to me, I really kind of don't have a choice. We find that biblically. When you see individuals, and especially the prophets, Jeremiah, if you ever read Jeremiah, his prophecy, holy smokes. You know, he was, now Paul got to bring a message of, you know, it was bad news to some, but pretty good news to others, to Gentiles. That's us. Guess what? God is opening the door of heaven to you. And we have that message because of these sent ones who endured all this stuff so that we could have this message and it was written down. And, um, Jeremiah had a different message. He had to tell his countrymen that devastation was coming and they wouldn't escape. Jeremiah wrote the prophecy of Jeremiah and the prophecy of lamentations. And here's Jeremiah spoke about anguish and in terms of the necessity on him. Writhing in pain, 
his heart beating wildly, being able, being unable to keep silent because God has collared him to preach in a dangerous situation. If you read the prophecy of Jeremiah, he is not a happy camper. He feels trapped. He feels hoodwinked in a way. But what he does, he continues to bring the message. Uh, he complains bitterly about the divine force within him. Since the result of his preaching brought him such suffering, he uses the language of violent assault to describe God's overpowering his life. Paul doesn't lament in the same way that Jeremiah did. He has a different thing. He gives good news to some people like us, bad news to others. Um, Paul says, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Become all things to all people for Paul, that had an edge to it. It indicates that to a Jew, he became like a Jew in order that he may win some. Let me tell you what he did. Jews were given the right to administer their own justice. Now, if you were a Jew and you submitted to their justice, then you were allowed to continue to function as a Jew. So what Paul would do? He would go to a place, he would say the things that he knew he needed to say, and when the Jews exacted punishment, he voluntarily took it. Because if he takes that punishment, they cannot kick him out of the synagogue. Now, if he says, no, I am not going to take that because I'm a Christian, then they could say, well, you are not one of us anymore then. So you're not allowed to commit. So what he does, he then submits himself to the beatings. Five times this, three times that, because he keeps on getting this punishment, but it opens the door for him to come back. This guy was amazing. Amazing. And felt this compulsion to verbalize the message. Um, he ends up saying, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. <coughs> I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. When this, oh, I got a question. Is that a shepherd verse or a sheep verse? Are we supposed to discipline and beat our bodies so that we don't get disqualified? What does disqualified mean? If we don't exercise enough self-discipline, we're going to get to the gates and we're going to get kicked out? Is that what this is saying? See, you understand that's what this verse is used for. It's put on the shoulders of sheep to try to scare them into obedience. I see some head shaking. Good. That's off by a covenant. This is not a sheep verse. Now, there is an application of dedication at Paul, but this is a shepherd verse. Paul doesn't say you. He says I. 
discipline my body. Do you know what Paul's focus here? He's not talking about a battle with sin. He's not disciplining my body so I can control. That's not the point here. The point is usefulness. So what I do, Paul says, I do so that I might be in a position to still offer this message to individuals who need to hear it. And whatever I do, I do so that it can come out of my mouth into their ears because that's how they will become spiritual innies. And I eliminate anything that would get in the way of that. This isn't about being a son or daughter of God. It's about being a spokesperson. It's about being a shepherd. And it's it's put on the shoulders of individuals that doesn't belong. And now, is there a point there for us? Oh, yeah, okay, maybe. But that's not what it's written for. Uh, Paul's focus is on usefulness. He buffets his body and makes it his slave in order to heighten himself and heighten his ability to serve others by expressing the message. Tell you what. You like me? When I get up there, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I hope I have an opportunity to be able to visit with some of these apostles. Who put themselves in harm's way in order to allow Gentiles to become children of God. We're gonna, I'm gonna seek out some of my older brothers. I'm not sure how this works, but if I have the opportunity, Thanks. It's, I'm not going to get on a tangent. There are many that come away from the Bible being anti-Semitic. And some good people. Martin Luther was anti-Semitic. He just, you know, and again, at his time, he, but he, that's, you know, he, he, he really moved. He moved the envelope really far. But still. The early church was anti-Semitic in many respects. I understand it. It really doesn't make much sense, though, does it? It doesn't make much sense. We find our place in the family of God because of our older brothers. Now, because of the gospel, they're not supposed to believe all of them in the gospel. You know what God did? He took a portion of them. The way you take a portion of of bread out and let it ferment in order to make sourdough bread. And you take this yeasty and then you put it into another loaf and it makes a loaf. God took a portion of Jews out, called them apostles and other servants and inserted them into the Gentile world so that we could become sons and daughters of God. What's going to happen, though, the time of the Gentiles, I've talked about this, there's going to come a time, if you're Gentiles and you're Jews, what God's doing now is 
He has a stop sign here. He invited enough to be able to make our understanding clear, and now is the time where God's waving Gentiles, and there will come a time, I don't know what it is, when he will do this. The time of the Gentiles is over. And he will do this to people who thought that they had been, I don't know, I can't speak for the Jews, but he'll wave them in, and we'll have the opportunity on the far side to be able to thank them. This compulsion thing that Paul felt, I think he felt it more than, I don't know what that's like completely. About, you know, a weird thing. Talk briefly. When I went to, uh, back in 2000, went to China, spoke at a conference. And while I was there, um, just, I don't, I'm not going to talk all about the experience, but it was just this weight. And it never happened to me. I, I didn't want to go overseas. And then what ended up happening while there, it was just this thing that settled. I, I got to, I called. She said, I, I think we're supposed to come back here. And it was completely, I, I, we ended up there six months later. And we'll go into all the stuff, but I still am, very much in touch with some individuals, and they're not Americans, they're Chinese. Relationship is extended, and now I see these things that are going on, and these married, and yeah, I'm not going to go into a bunch of details. Um, anyways, China was a weird thing. I remember a couple of things, really one thing in particular. I remember there was a, uh, these individuals that had gone over there to teach, and there was a Bible study once, and uh, a number of us were in there, and here's what happened. The one conducting the Bible study read a poem by Amy Carmichael, Hast Thou No Scar. And I'll read the poem to you, and I'll tell you what happened. Well, these individuals were missionaries. And here's what Amy, Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary to India in the 1920s. She rescued hundreds of orphan children. In India, and in 1931, she prayed, God, please do with me whatever you want. Do anything that will help me to serve you better. That's in 1931, that same day, same day, she fell and suffered fractures that would cripple her for the rest of her life. Same day. This gave her time to write books, poems, and letters which have been shared, and this one, Hast Thou No Scar. I remember this guy reading this at this Bible study. Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wound by the archers spent, leaned me against a tree to die, and rent by ravening beasts that encompassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. 
but thine are whole. Can he who have followed far, who has no wound, no scar? That's a servant poem. You know what happened in that day? I'll forget, and then I'll pray for us. In fact, come on up. There were individuals in that room, and it was the weirdest thing. The guy who was conducting the study, he prayed, and right after he read this, and everybody just sat there. Nobody wanted to leave. And he ended up saying after about three or four minutes, well, I guess we're not done, are we? And we had to talk about what it was like to be in a foreign place and what it was like to have left for the purpose of gospel and sharing. Never forget that. That's where Paul is pointing us, shepherd verses. And we exist because Jesus commissioned individuals to lay down their life so that we could have the gospel. Father, thank you for your purposes and for creating ways that we can become part of your family. I continue to reveal yourself both to us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, be careful on the way home, okay?